0: So, it's Advent, and that's what I want to talk about for a little bit. Um, Our theme is Roots, as Flick's already said. I'm sitting on this stool because I've fractured my ankle, and uh, I'm supposed to keep weight off it. So, it's Advent, and it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and here are four candles that are lit. We're going to light the white one, the last one to mark the coming of Jesus tomorrow morning as we gather to sing some carols and just uh, celebrate for a little while. Um, but Advent, as you know, is all about preparation. And so each Sunday, we've lit another candle. First Sunday of Advent, one candle, then two, then three, then four. As we wait and we hope, and the light slowly dawns, and finally, uh, Christ uh, comes. Uh, that uh, carol that we've just sung, that I think we've sung uh, pretty well everything that we've had, that everybody loves, it's a brilliant carol, isn't it? The chorus says... Um, it tells us to hear the angel voices, and we sing that with great gusto. Do you know something, this just in preparation for what I I want to say, that in the Bible, the word angel is the same root as the word evangel or evangelistic. So the evangel, the evangelists or evangelicals are supposed to be bringers of the good news. And the angel, the evangel, the angel simply means a bringer of good news. When we hear the term angel, we automatically think of someone dressed in a Marks and Spencers nighty with big wings and tinsel in their head. But the word angel in the Bible actually simply means messenger. We've romanticized and glamorized, and as I said uh, last Sunday evening, therefore sanitized the whole message because we make it unbelievable and then we choose not to believe it. But we were the ones that made it unbelievable in the first place. So, in that hymn, that carol we've just sung, hear the angel voices. Who are the angels? Who are the messengers? It's us. We are called to be messengers to bring the evangel. We are messengers of the good news, and an angel is simply a messenger of the good news. So it may sound kind of um, rather um, big-headed of you to think of yourself as an angel, but the sure, it sure is the case that we are. The only question is whether we're doing a worthy job, whether we're bringing light and we're bringing hope, or we bring darkness through our own... Uh, selfishness. And it's that that I'd like to talk about uh, this morning. Um, over these uh, three weeks, really, because Sammy Awad come, came uh, to speak to us on the first Sunday, uh, we've uh, been looking at, um, we've been trying to look at the uh, roots of Jesus. Um, because in Matthew's gospel, chapter one, that we didn't read this morning, uh, there's a long list of the genealogy of Jesus, it goes all the way back, and it says, "So and so begat so and so, who begat so and so, who begat so and so, who begat so and so," um, and here we have it: Ammon, the father, uh, Ammon, the father of Josiah. So, Josiah is named in Matthew chapter one. As part of the heritage, part of the roots of who Jesus is. It's a bit like that program that's on the telly um, so often now. Who do you think you are when some celebrity goes delving back into their past? It's as though Matthew begins his gospel by delving back into the past of Jesus. And he comes up with this list of names. And here's just one line from it. Ammon was the father of Josiah. I've got a little grandson called Josiah. Do you know the name Josiah means, literally, it means supported by Yah, supported by Yahweh. It, means, it simply means this person's life is supported by Yahweh. And we're going to uh, discover a little bit about that. But first of all, let me tell you a story. There was a man, and he was a poor man. And uh, he had no real means of supporting himself adequately. So every night he'd pray, and he'd always pray the same prayer. And the prayer was this, God, make me rich. And he'd wake up the next morning in abject poverty again. And that night he'd pray, God, make me rich. Make me rich. And he'd wake up, and he was just as poor as the day before. And the years went by, and he ground out his life in poverty he had to struggle through the whole of his life because of his poverty. And every night, he'd pray to God, God, make me rich, make me rich, make me rich. But nothing happened. When he was an old man, he'd forgotten his prayer. He didn't pray it anymore. He lived... In the same economic situation as he'd always lived, but he'd given up praying the prayer, make me rich. And then one night, as he prayed other things, God spoke to him. And God said, I've come to answer your prayer. I've come to make you rich. And the old man said, no, God, that doesn't matter anymore Uh, I'm old, I, I don't need to be rich. And God said, but I've come to make you rich. And the old man said to God, I don't need to be rich. Actually, my prayer is different now. And God said, what is your prayer now? And the old man said, my prayer is for other people, that they will be blessed, that they will be safe, that they will be kept, that they will know joy. My prayer is that I might find ways to give. My prayer is that I might find ways to support them. And God said to him, I will grant you your prayer. And then God asked the old man, but why don't you want your original prayer answering? And the old man said, because I told you it doesn't matter to me anymore I see life differently. And then the old man asked God something. The old man said to God, God, why have you taken so long to come to answer my prayer, my prayer to be rich? And the story goes that God smiled and then said to the old man, Ah, the reason is I loved you far too much to answer that prayer when you prayed it. For I knew that as you grew, you'd change it and seek something else. The question is, as we prepare for the coming of the King, are our lives in the place they need to be so that we can be those angels, those messengers of good news? And that's just something I have to ask myself, and I'm only too aware of my failings and I ask you, just in these few minutes we've got, to ask it of yourself as well. So, Ammon was the father of Josiah. And I've asked for these lights to be put here because I'd, um, I'd like to show you something. Ammon was... The, um, Ammon was the father of Josiah. You can read Josiah's story. It starts um, with those words that Peter read to us, with all those horribly hard, difficult um, Hebrew names, and it lasts for the next uh, two chapters. It runs through two chapters, chapters 22 and chapters 23, of two kings, and it also runs a parallel account of Josiah's life, Josiah the king. It runs in two chronicles, chapters uh, 34 and 35. So you can read all about Josiah in two places in the Bible, and the thing is about Josiah is this. His father, Ammon, was a bad man. His father, Ammon, was so bad that he instituted in Judah, he was the king of Judah, in the line of King David, the great King David, Ammon instituted all sorts of false worship. In fact, Ammon introduced the sacrifice of children. In fact, you've probably heard of the valley that's called Gehenna, Outside of Jerusalem, the rubbish dump that was always on fire, where all the um, all the filth from Jerusalem in Jesus' day was um, abandoned, Gehenna that Jesus talked about because it had a stench about it, and Jesus was constantly saying, "Live God's way, or you'll end up in Gehenna." It was a metaphor. He was saying to live. Uh, to live a different way to the way God chooses for your life is like ending up on Gehenna. Think of the worst place you can with the stench and the smell of all of that. It's Gehenna. Well, living for yourself and not living with God at the center of your life is like living on Gehenna. Well, it was Ammon, the king Ammon, that finally brought about the, the uh, worship of other gods, including child sacrifice on Gehenna. If you read Ammon's story in the Old Testament, you'll discover this that Ammon was no light at all. I'm going to snuff him out. Ammon brought to Josiah no light. Ammon was a bad dad, Ammon was a bad king. Ammon was a bad human being. But here's the thing. Ammon's dad was a guy uh, called Manasseh. And Manasseh was also a terrible king. Manasseh also worshipped many gods. He, He put into the temple, the Jerusalem temple, lots of symbols, of the Baal gods, the fertility gods. He got into the temple in Jerusalem, lots of cultic prostitutes. Ammon caught his habits and his way of life from his father, Josiah's grandfather. At the end of Manasseh's life, he went through A spiritual experience. You can read all about this. And he recovered something. He tried to turn his life around at the end. And so his life shed a little light. But for the most part, his life was just smoking. There was no real light from it. Just smoke went up from it. That was it. And here's Josiah. Josiah's great-grandfather was a king, you can read all about it, called Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great man. Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah knew, you can read his story, that all kings stood in line with their great father, David. It wasn't that David was perfect. David had an adulterous affair. David lied at different times. David stumbled. David made mistakes. But what was so honest about David was his ability to be open, to be transparent, his ability to confess his failings, to know when he'd failed. He opened his mouth sometimes at the wrong time, he said the wrong things. He wished he could withdraw his words, let alone his actions. Do you feel like that? I certainly do. I feel like that even today. There are things I say, and I think, why did I say that? And why did I say it in that way? David was a man, though, who was after God's heart. For all his failings, he put out this huge light. You can read about it as you read his psalms, the lyrics of his songs. You know, as I often say, Bono says uh, that David is really the Elvis of the Bible. And, um, and, And without doubt, he is. He's this great lyricist who's so honest about who he is. And Hezekiah knew that he stood in line with David. He knew that he had responsibility. And I'm not going to bore you by telling you the things that Hezekiah did simply to say this, his light shone. He's a high point of the book of Kings. He's a high point of Israel's, uh, Judah's history. But his son chose a different way and his light went out. And his grandson chose a different way. Ammon introduced the worst distortions of everything that Judah was about. And so here's this kid. Now Ammon was such a bad king that he only reigned for two years and he was assassinated He wasn't assassinated because people wanted a better way of life. He was assassinated because these two men between them had created such corruption in Judah that everyone was at everyone else. No one trusted anyone else. There was a huge amount of plotting. It was like Rome, uh, you know, years later. It was like Rome when Julius Caesar is stabbed in the back by Brutus. That's what happened. And Amon's life, Ammon's life is snuffed out. And Josiah became king when he was just eight years old. That was in the reading, wasn't it? He became king when he was just eight years old. Just eight years old. Here's a principle. We talked about this earlier in the year, in January actually, Your inner story controls your life. How many people do you know they behave in an aggressive way or they behave in a selfish way, but as you get to know them, you realize that it's their inner pain that controls the way they are? I was thinking about someone who I know quite well, not someone who's part of uh, uh, this church at all, so don't kind of go, oh, yeah, I think it's her, uh, someone I know quite well, who appears to everyone to be incredibly aggressive. I know her quite well because I've spent a fair bit of my time in the last few months defending her. She does not live in Waterloo. Right? <laughs> so don't go. I spent a fair bit of my time in the last couple of months defending her. But it's impossible to defend her because nobody she works with wants to work with her. They all despise her. And they despise her for really good reasons. And they tell me she's hateful and she's disrespectful, etc., 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 etc. But I know that she's crippled on the inside. I know that every aggressive act or Every act where it seems like she won't engage, she'd turn her back on people, is actually the result of all of the terrible things that she has endured. Her upbringing, her past, her inner story. And her inner story has come to control her life. But at the beginning of the year, we learned this as well. You can edit and change your inner story. The darkness can be put out. Light can come. We have the power within us to edit and change our inner story. But, there's a huge but. First, you have to acknowledge it. Now I have to say that my friend that I've just been talking about, she as yet will not acknowledge her story. And in the refusal to acknowledge what's actually going on inside her, she is unable to confront the ugly truth and the hurt and the tears of the past and unable to move on. You can edit and you can change your story, but first you have to acknowledge it. There's an extraordinary thing about the story of Josiah. As, as Peter read in that little summary of his story before his story, those first two verses in uh, two kings there sum up his life. He became king when he was eight years old and he did what was right. But if you read the detail of the story, he didn't do anything until he was 26. It was only in the 18th year of his reign that he begins to bring about reforms and he begins to dismantle the altars that his father and his grandfather have erected in the temple he begins to pull down the cultic places of worship he finds the book of the law, the Deuteronomic book of law, and he gives it to the priests and he calls people to worship Yahweh and he reforms, it, he reforms the land of Judah. He does good things, but he doesn't begin his work until he's 26. Stick to a story long enough and the story sticks to you. The story of these two men didn't stick to Josiah. Instead, he found a different way. By choosing this this way, we'll go back to that in a second. Look, these are some words from Miles Davis. Man, sometimes it takes a long time to sound like yourself. We looked at this back in January. And that's exactly what happens to Josiah. It took him a long time To sound like himself. Because he had to battle with the inner story. That he'd inherited from a father. Who didn't set an example. He had to battle with the inner story. That was built on the life of his grandfather. But he could look right back. To the life of his great grandfather. Of course all of these people were kings of Judah. So their stories were well documented. But Josiah at the age of eight lived through the assassination of his father. Josiah at the age of eight had to come to terms with why his father was assassinated. Josiah at the age of eight had to confront his history and his inner story. And the Bible doesn't tell us the story of his inner struggle. It's just recording the outer history. But can you imagine the impact on an eight-year-old boy of discovering all of this truth? But slowly, he learns to look back to his great-grandfather. And slowly, he decides what his life is actually going to be about. We don't know, do we, how many torturous nights he faced. We don't know how many nights he cried for the loss of his father. We don't know how many nights he mourned the fact that he was on his own and he was a boy and he was king and there were so many political forces around him and the land was now so corrupt that killing and torture and assassination had become part of Judah's life. But we do know this. That in his 18th year of rule, he found his own voice. And he learned that though it takes a long time to sound like yourself, you can come to that place. So, that's why I stuck these um, nine habits up here. These are the nine habits of Oasis, otherwise known as the fruit of the Spirit, um, do you know that for all Oasis staff around the country f- 5,000 plus staff we, Jill Rowe actually has worked on a huge amount of work around these nine habits, if you go into our schools around the country you'll see these plastered up on walls in lots of different ways uh, we produced lots of resources to help students in our schools and people staying in our houses around the country, as you know there's Um, This year there have been around one and a half thousand young adults who found shelter in the houses that we have. We don't know much about that here because we don't have any housing here at the moment. But there's a house down in Peckham and there's one in Croydon, Oasis houses. We work hard at this with everyone. Why do we work hard at this with everyone? Well, the first ever bit of Oasis that existed was the hostel down in Peckham. It was. It was. Um, Cornelia and I, uh, well it was Cornelia's idea to call Oasis Oasis Um, and uh, in our 20s we set up this hostel in uh, Peckham which still runs, it's called number three, it's number three in the street and and today right now today there are 16 young uh, 17, 18, 19 year old girls who've been betrayed, been let down uh, in all sorts of ways but we provide for them shelter, and we provide for them housing, and we provide for them care. And they come to uh, live with us and stay with us for usually around a year, 18 months, two years. But here's the thing that I learned as we set that hostel up. Remember, it was the only bit of Oasis that existed in the world. So, uh, you know, I'd set up Oasis, and we had a house in Peckham. So... Um, I I was there every day basically there was nowhere else to be Um, I haven't been there for years and it's only four miles down the road Um, uh, but so here's the thing these girls came to live with us and they've been abused in all sorts of ways I won't tell you about that now but it, it was horrendous. And so what we did is we provided, and still provide, a kind of phased approach. So when a young girl first comes, that young woman first comes to live with us, we provide community living. You know, so there's a community table and community meals, etc., etc., etc. But then we slowly learned that you've got to get people prepared to live independently. And we learned that if you just do community stuff and then find them a flat to live in and a job... It won't last very long because they don't know how to cook for themselves. So we decided to do phased housing. And now there are three phases, actually. There's uh, when you first come and then there's an intermediate phase and then there's independent living and then you go off on your own. But here's the thing. We discovered that didn't work either. Because what we discovered was that as we prepared young women to live... um, on their own they needed a huge amount of support so we set up a support service to work with them after they left us but we realized in time well when i say we it was me you know because there was no one else to realize this um, kind of thing we realized that that didn't work either because what we needed to do was give them education so we realized that instead of just providing housing i still had a dream that one day we'd run a school but 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 instead of just providing housing, we needed to provide education. And so Lewisham College isn't very far from Peckham. And so we used to enrol the girls in Lewisham College. I can tell you great stories. There was one lass who had been so struggled in life, and we got her into Lewisham College. And all the other girls in number three took that morning off, and they all rode – there's a bus, I can't remember the number of it, that goes from Peckham to Lewisham, perhaps you can. And they all rode on the top deck of the bus – from um, Peckham to Lewisham. And then at Lewisham College, there's some little steps by the entrance she went in. And all the other girls, all other 15 girls in the hostel, stood there. And as uh, she entered Lewisham uh, College to begin her course, they all applauded her. It was absolutely one of the most best days of my life to watch them applaud her. And then they threw a party for her that night. But the problem is, as time went by, I realised that wasn't enough either, because the college taught people literacy and computer skills and etc. 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 numeracy. So we now had girls that did phased living with us, and then they left us, but they had they could do numeracy and literacy and work computers and all that kind of stuff, and we'd find them a flat and we'd find them a job. But here's the truth: it didn't work. And it didn't work for this reason. We'd not changed their inner story. We'd given them external education, maths, English, history, geography, all the rest of it, but it was completely broken. And these girls, set up with a flat and a job, were just sat there waiting for the next guy to show up to abuse them. They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to any lies that any man would tell them. And I watched to my shame, my fault, I have to own it. Young women's lives destroyed again because we had not prepared them. And in that moment, I learned this, that what matters most in life is your inner story who you are, not what you can do. I went to St. Paul's Cathedral uh, yesterday evening because my friend David is the dean there and he invited Corny and I to a carol service. So we went to uh, uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. And as I sat there, I remembered um, a few years ago when I sat there and I listened to the then deputy governor of the Bank of England just after the crash... And and, uh, it was sat almost in exactly the same place. And I remember the deputy governor saying this. He said, the problem is we don't need more regulation around the banking industry. We've got enough regulation as it is. What we need is not better regulation. We need better bankers. That. And so I learnt this lesson, that in order to prepare the young, wonderful women that came to live with us and still come to live with us in Peckham for life, yeah, they need to know maths and English, etc., etc., and they do need a flat and they do need a job and all of those things, and they need economic security, but what they need is their inner story editing. They need a new inner story, an inner story of hope, they need hopes that they can burn in light sometimes it takes a long time to sound like yourself here at oasis at church you know on the back of the news sheet all the time those life habits they're there every week with different questions i don't know if you just skip them over because you think ah they're always there but those questions, sometimes you'll find them helpful and sometimes you won't because we're individuals. Those questions are fantastic questions to ask yourself each week at some time. I don't mean, you know, a quick glance through. To stop and if there's just one of them each week, you concentrate. This month, we're looking at what it is to be joyful. Next month, we move on to a different habit and we do this on a rotor through the year. Why? Because we're always becoming we're always moving forward. Josiah was someone who, um, who gave his life to God, and God used his life. Man, sometimes it takes a long time to sound like yourself. Let me pray for you. We thank you, Father, for this story of this extraordinary king, Josiah, Who was supported by you, as his name says. This Christmas time, we ask that you might make our lives lives that shine with your love and brightness and generosity. We ask that we might be people whose inner stories tell your story. Help us to find the courage. To confront those things in our history, in our past confront those events and those happenings and those people and those voices in our past that have taught us to live in a way that's distorted from what you long for us help us to daily confront who we are and to move on to live for you Amen. And so, as, we, uh, as I hand back to Flick, here are some words taken from the second reading that Peter read to us. Paul, writing to his friends, it's Philippians chapter three, uh, 4, but here, here we um, have Paul. He's writing from a jail, actually. He's in prison when he writes this letter. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because what we think we become, what we focus on influences us. And slowly, like the old man in the story I first told you, our priorities are changed And we come to shine the light that reflects Christ. God bless you. Thank you.